Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tiger podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Borash, and I am here with Tiger beat writer Evan Petzold. First week of the offseason, first week of finally getting to decompress and relax for Evan. A little reflection. We're going to cover a bunch of things about what we think uh, are transpiring internally. Talk a little playoffs. Talk a little Detroit Lions. And basically start uh, our offseason. A little more relaxed atmosphere and uh, maybe a little more of our personal opinions. So talk to me, my man. You got to uh, sleep in your own bed for five straight days. And you got to wake up and not chase an airplane and just kind of decompress. How was it? Yeah, the Tigers were 0-0 zero and zero this week, so <laughs> it was a nice week for Evan Pestel. They didn't um, lose a game, We always dude. start off talking about how they did. No, I know, I know. Um, it, it takes me back to what A.J. Hinch said, end-of-season presser. He said, you know, it's not really the off-season, it's just the non-game season, and in some ways it does kind of feel that way because there are so many different moving parts, um, which we're going to talk about. we got a ton to dive into. Um, this week in terms of what's going on, maybe behind the scenes that people aren't talking about enough, and then also some things out front um, that we got to touch on. But yeah, it's been a good week. I mean, I got to play golf with uh, some old high school buddies on Saturday. So that was a lot of fun to reconnect with them. And a lot of time spent with Savannah, um, a lot of time spent, you know, drinking coffee with my feet up, working on my stories, um, still have a lot that I'm doing and a lot that I'm working on. But it is nice to be able to kind of set my own schedule a little bit and not be confined to you know, racing to the airport and waking up at, you know, 4.30 a.m. to try to catch an airport, uh, to catch a flight. Like that's, that's never any fun. So to be able to not have to do that right now, um, definitely a blessing. I would love to be covering postseason baseball. I'm jealous of Cody Stavenhagen of The Athletic, who um, they have him covering the Texas Rangers right now, which is pretty sweet. So, I mean, I'm, I'm dying for the day that the Tigers can be in the postseason because that just looks like so much fun. Um, it kind of sucks sitting back watching games from home and reading stories from home. Um, cause it just, it's just, it's amazing. Like there's, there's nothing else that you can't even really describe it. I feel like it, cause I've never lived it. I've never experienced it, um, from this side. So I'm hoping one day to get to cover a postseason team, but Tigers zero and zero this week. And Evan with some relaxation, some work, and also a little bit of golf. Sounds like fun to me. Yeah. It's fall. Leaves are falling. The highs are in the fifties. Uh, I'm sure golf Yesterday was, a, you were wearing a, a hoodie and it was a little windy out there. So. Yeah, a little. I was a little surprised by that. We didn't think that it was going to be that bad. And it was just, you know, specifically when we were in the shade, um, that's where we were just, you know, you got the shade and then you got the wind. 
when we were able to get to spots where, okay, it's sunny a little bit and, and we can kind of feel the sun beating down on our back a little bit more and maybe not as much wind, it was very relaxing, very comfortable. Then the wind picks up and you're just like, oh gosh, like you feel that shiver. Um, but it's a good feeling because it means that that fall is here and you know, that's always fun because it means postseason baseball. It also means that you're in the heart of, you know, both the college football season and the NFL season. And there's so much going on with the Lions and, and Michigan football. And, you know, we don't need to get into Michigan State too much. They got a lot going on there uh, for all the wrong reasons. But it, it just falls in the air. My birthday is coming up. It's on Tuesday. So, like, it's also a sign of, hey, you know, your birthday is right around the corner. Um, I love fall for all those reasons. So um, it was enjoyable. But again, I liked it when the sun was out and there was no wind. Yeah, the week was pretty unbelievable, and then uh, Friday was was just yeah. an unbelievable day. But you know, now that we're in the fifties, it reminds you uh, it goes quickly, man. I mean, you go from wearing shorts and uh, <laughs> a short sleeve shirt to wearing uh, you know pants, sweatpants, hoodies, uh, the whole entire gamut. So um, let's get into it. Uh, end of season kind of posturing about the off season combination presser on Monday with, uh, AJ and Scott was Greenberg there. Or was he just kind of not, was he just observing and not saying much? Uh, he wasn't even there. So it was just, it was just Scott and it was, it was Scott and AJ. They sat up there and, um, you know, they both had a mic. I think AJ had, I think maybe jeans. Um, I may be wrong, but I mean, they were, they were classy jeans and stuff like that. And, you know, Scott had his, uh, you know, quarter zip on and super casual, super relaxed, um, good conversation. And then kind of, like I had said last week, you know, after having that conversation, it was fun to talk to those guys just off to the side a little bit and, you know, hear more about their off season plans, um, you know, both like personally, and then also to just, kind of some of their other thoughts on on where the organization is headed and where they want to take things. But yeah, I mean, again, we talked a lot about different things last week when it comes to the contractual stuff, the Eduardo Rodriguez, the Javier Baez, Carson Kelly is a name that not many people talk about because, you know, there's so much focus on Eduardo and, and Javi that Carson Kelly gets missed. We, we dove into all that, but I, we left them with two cliffhangers as, hey, we got to talk a little bit about some of the things that Scott Harris said and then also something that AJ Hinch said too that I thought was pretty important. So I think it's a great way to kick off the big two in the pod. All right. So, quote, big two, question one, what did Scott Harris say about the offseason? And uh, Evan Petzl, det- pet detective, uh, what are his real plans? Yeah, I think we can get to the real plan. I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard to say. I mean, I, I think Scott kind of from the beginning has laid out his his game plan of how he wants to run things. If you go back and you look at his introductory, you know, press conference where he talks about, you know, kind of his three pillars of, of how he wants to put this thing together, you can see where he has tried to fulfill those things. I'm not saying that he's perfect, and I don't think he'll sit and tell you that he's perfect either. But I do think that you do see the plan and you do see an attempt at executing that plan. Um, again, not everyone's going to be perfect. Not everyone's going to get it right all the time. But I do think he has done a pretty good job of kind of following through on what he says. He's never said, look, we're going to go out there and we're going to compete and we're going to win in 2023. He's, he hasn't said yet, hey, you know what? Our goal is playoffs in 2024. So he hasn't set that expectation yet. I, mean, I know that's the expectation that AJ Hinch sets, you know, every start of spring training with his team every single time. But Scott has not come out there and said, hey, look, my rebuild or my retool or he hasn't even put labels on it, right? He hasn't, doesn't talk like that, um, which I find kind of fascinating. 
He said absolutely nothing about trying to get to the postseason. I asked it. I asked him and AJ. I said, "Is postseason realistic?" And he deferred to AJ. And AJ kind of gave his comments there. But he did talk about the offseason, and he didn't have a whole lot to say about the fact that the Tigers are going to have an extremely low payroll. Miguel Cabrera is off the books, and all likelihood, Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be off the books. That's fifty million dollars right there, and that's not even counting, you know, the deals for Michael Lorenzen and Matthew Boyd that were one-year deals. I mean, the payroll is going to be way, 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 way down. Can we let's get a little more specific about that because we need to at least set a band, a baseline give some clarity to what that really means so people understand. Well, I mean it was a, it was 122 million you go and you subtract, you know, 50 million from Cabrera and Erod plus the 10 million from Boyd plus the 8.5 million from Lorenzen, it's an extremely low payroll. 55 million. Yeah, 55 million. Like the Tigers definitely have an opportunity to go out there and spend some money. Like there is money to be spent. But if you go and we have to look at it this way from our chairs, you go and you look at because the Tigers are doing it the same way. You go look at the free agent market, and it's Shohei Otani, it's Matt Chapman, and then after that, I think the third or fourth best position player that's out there is Jamer Candelario. Now there is going to be opt outs and option decisions that have to be made, both from individual players, also from teams. But as it stands right now, Jamer Candelario is like your third or fourth best option on the free agent market, which tells you everything you need to know about just how terrible the free agent market is. I mean, it is extremely, extremely thin. And then this gets into what Scott Harris had talked about. And I think this is where it it becomes a little bit more evident of what the Tigers might do. Fans, you might not love it, but at the same time, I I, I get the point. I'm going to read you Scott Harris's quote because I think it's important. This was one that that really stood out to me. There's two, actually, and I'm going to read you both of them. Quote, I'm really bullish on this young talent. So anything we do this offseason, in free agency or trade, we're going to have to be mindful of walking the line between finding outside additions that can help us without blocking some of the young talent that may prove to be the best solutions we can find at certain positions, end quote. That's quote one that stood out to me. The second quote that stood out to me was this, quote, I think it's important to remind ourselves there aren't shortcuts to contention. When I think about what we're doing in this organization, we can spend to complement a core, but we can't spend to build a core. That's not a viable strategy in this market, end quote. And those two quotes combined with the fact that the free agent market is extremely thin this offseason tells me everything I need to know. They want to see Jace Young. They want to see Colt Keith. They want to see Justin Henry Malloy, which means they're not going to go after Matt Chapman. We know they want to keep the DH spot open as a revolving door. I mean, we could see Kerry Carpenter in that role. We could see Justin Henry Malloy in that role. Torkelson could be in that role when he needs a day off his speed at first base. You, you leave so many, Riley Green, if he needs a break, if he needs a day, you get him in that DH spot. You leave your options open there. That's why I don't see them going out and, and paying big bucks for a DH only guy like a you know ex-Tiger JD Martinez, someone that a lot of Tigers fans love and they'd love to have him back. And sure, he brings value to the lineup, but then he clogs your DH. That's kind of where I'm at with all that. I don't see the Tigers spending. I don't see them spending big money. I think they'll go in the out and they do exactly what they did this past offseason, where they go and they get a few starting pitchers that they feel like they can optimize, maybe a bullpen arm that they feel like they can optimize. And that's probably going to be just about it. I don't see them in the Matt Chapman sweepstakes. I, I think in a perfect world, Andy Abanez and, and Matt Veerling play third base. Colt Keith maybe handles, you know, second base. Or Colt Keith handles third base. Abanez handles, you know, second base. Like I like there are n- enough, you know, shuffling pieces that could go around. 
But what happens if Colt Keith is really, really, really good? And what happens if Jace Young is really, really, really good? And you've locked yourself into a long-term contract with Matt Chapman. And maybe he doesn't end up being as good, you know, in the final, you know, three years of that deal, right? Well, then you've just shot yourself in the foot. And you really don't want Matt Chapman by the end of the year because you have Colt Keith and Jace Young on your roster with more coming. That's what I think. Okay. So let's backtrack just a tad. All right. And I want to lend a little perspective to some things we're discussing. So um, the lowest payroll last year with everything figured in, and what I'm figuring in are some things that often are not included in ways that people discuss payroll, which are, you know, money that's buried, players that are suspended, some retained salary. But the bottom line was the 30th ranked team in payroll last year were the Oakland A's at $62 million. As the 29th team was Pittsburgh at $68 million, and the 28th ranked team was Baltimore at $71 million. The 27th ranked team was Tampa at $79.3 million. The Tigers, with everything, uh, are probably ranked 29th or 30th as we begin the 2024 offseason. So when you say their payroll is going to be low, I wanted from a contextual standpoint to share with everybody how low it is. It's one of the four lowest payrolls in baseball as we begin the offseason. Do I think that's where it will begin the 2024 season next April 1st? Mm, pretty close. Do I think they're going to spend some money on some one- and two-year players that are of substance? I do, in some slight level of disagreement with your perspective about it. So I think they're not signing any free agents of note. They likely will be happy to sign one- or two-year free agents, a leverage reliever. Uh, you know, Ronaldo Lopez being an example. Well, do I think they'll have a discussion about Josh Hader? They'll have a discussion about it. I, do I think they're paying $15 million for Josh Hader? Uh, like a four-year, $60 million contract? Absolutely not. So, but I do think that there are some players that are one or two-year possibilities that they're going to have a discussion with. They also will look to make trades on players that other teams are either looking to get younger, looking to dump salary. Um, and as far as the J.D. Martinez discussion, I would say I am 180 degrees in the opposite direction from you. And here's my thinking. Let's, let me ask you a question. Do you think with that they will, that A.J. Hinch wants to craft a team for 2024 with all the things you discussed, all the young players having opportunity to play, nobody blocking anybody. But at the same time, does he want to add some veteran presence and some 
ceiling type of players that will make other players better, how many wins do you think if they optimized everything, they won 78 this year, how, how many wins do you think A.J. Hinch would like to shoot for everything going perfectly in 2024? I mean, the guy wants to be in the postseason. So you look at that number and that's that's where you're at. But I'm not telling you, I'm not, hey, look, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that JD Martinez is a bad idea. I'm not saying that JD Martinez is a bad idea, but I'm just telling you, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, it's not happening. Well, I I just want to continue to workshop this idea so that we understand the context of what I'm going to discuss about the front office and then what I want to discuss about AJ Hinch. So how many, how many wins? As a floor, do you think it takes to make the playoffs, assuming the Twins will be better next year? I mean, I think you've got to be looking at, at at least, I mean, at least 85 is like the floor. I mean, the Twins got in this year with 87 wins. I think you're going to need at least 90. But, you know, you shoot for 85. I think you feel pretty good about that. Even if you don't make it in, yeah. that means you're competing down the stretch and you're you're in it, you know, in the final week of the season. That's that's huge. But I, I, I want to pump the brakes. Like I'm not really making the JD Martinez thing a debate. The point is, is it's just not happening. And also, I don't really think JD no, Martinez I, fits in that clubhouse. I'm not saying that he's somebody that couldn't, you know, be a veteran presence, but you go look around that room. That room's very, very young, like very young. And I think that's part of the culture that they built like that. That's kind of part of it. And, and at JD Martinez, like, would he fit? Like, would he be able to help guys out for sure? But does he really fit that team chemistry that they built? Does he fit that culture? Like, I, I'm not really so sure that he does. I think he's, you know, I think he fits great on a team that ha- already has veteran players where he kind of steps in and he can slide in the DH spot, hit a bunch of home runs and, you know, try to help a veteran team, you know, make it to the playoffs and be surrounded by guys like Freddie Freeman, Mookie Bass. Like, that's where he's at right now. And and it works. Like, I don't really know if it's the same thing coming over to Detroit where there are so many unknowns for him. Secondly, though, like the big point is the Tigers want to leave that DH spot open. That it makes way too much sense for them to, to to keep that spot open, allow it to be a revolving door, not have to clog it down. I mean, you've you've had the DH spot clogged down for, I mean, the last six years with Miguel Cabrera, and now you finally have some relief, and that allows AJ Hinch to continue to shuffle his lineups the way that he likes to. I mean, that's how this team is going to have to be built for now. He probably won't have a set standard one through nine until at least twenty twenty five just considering the way that things are going and the fact that there aren't any other real free agents out on the market. So I get your point. I understand where you're coming from. I think JD Martinez is a great player. I think that he would help the team when it comes to winning more games, but at the same time, is he really best for the long-term plan? I'm not so sure. I think the answer to the question I asked you is I, I think AJ would comfortably say that, you know, top, top of the line, improvement if they could win nine or 10 more games, which is 87 or 88 more games, that would be a monstrous step forward, best case scenario circumstance. And it would put them heavily in the mix to make the playoffs, especially with the expanded version of what the playoffs are now. So I ask you a question, thinking about what the team might look like, understanding what they want to do which is best-case scenario. Cole Keith is playing second base. Jay Young is playing third base after, let's throw it a day, July 4th, okay? 
Maybe Cole Keith is playing. I mean, Jay Shung is playing third base by then. I think more likely than not, Andy Abanez and McKinstry are going to be dividing plenty of time between second and third. I have no idea what's going to happen with Matt Veerling. And I just continue to be puzzled at the idea of why everyone likes Matt Veerling so much. And I've demonstrated why many, many times. And Heck, if you look at Andy Ibanez, after the first week of June, he hit 300. And, you know, I, why Matt Veerling would ever steal at bats from Andy Ibanez is puzzling. So, so real quick, real but, quick, where, where does uh, Justin Henry Malloy fit in that? Justin Henry Malloy doesn't fit into that because my attitude is, here's my feeling. I, I couldn't disagree more vehemently with your idea of fit in the clubhouse. I think a team with nobody who's played every day besides Javi Baez for longer than two years had any real sustained success in the major leagues besides Javi Baez, okay? They desperately need another right-handed bat. And if they had a right-handed bat that could hit 25 homers, play 115 games make clutch at bats. And the one thing I do know that you know is there is nobody more well-versed in hitting, better to teach hitting to young guys, better to be a leader, better to teach a work ethic in a clubhouse, in a transitioning team from mediocrity to being super competitive they have nobody to do that. I think, they hey, real quick, one... real quick, I think it's interesting. You mentioned right-handed bat. I think you mentioned playing X amount of games. I don't remember exactly what number you gave out, but then you added 115, 115 games and, and 23 home runs. That's exactly what Justin Henry Malloy did in AAA Toledo. He is a right-handed bat who hit 277 with a 417 on-base percentage. He had 23 home runs and he played in 135 games. And if you want to count on him to come and be in the major leagues and do that, I am not necessarily in the camp of thinking that. Well, you sure as hell got to try, don't you? No, I don't have to anything. I just have to figure out how to win 88 games. And if I'm going to bring a guy to the major leagues that's essentially a DH that is a total defensive liability and I have a payroll of $55 million, why wouldn't I offer J.D. Martinez, who will be unbelievably marketable if it turns out to be a bad idea and he's still good, and pay him two years, $30 million, or two years, $32 million, with the idea that I could trade him if it was a terrible oh idea. Oh my gosh, I wish, I wish listeners could see my face right now. I'm absolutely dumbfounded. I am absolutely dumbfounded by what you're saying right now. Justin Henry Malloy is 23 under team control yeah. for six years after he gets called up. Right, and he's going to have to get called up. What are you going to leave him in Toledo? Leave leave a guy who's OBPing you know 417 with 23 bombs. He's going to leave him in Toledo. I'm going to leave him somewhere what? because if I have a chance, if I have a chance to sign a guy who has a 900 OPS and can hit 25 home runs in the major leagues over a guy that walked a lot at Toledo. Uh, yeah, it's not much of a choice for me, especially when I'm trying to optimize a major league baseball team. I mean, how many, look, you're how, listen, let me ask you a question a different way in your memory. 
How many teams make the playoffs playing four guys that have less than 100 at-bats in a major league season? That have less than 100 at-bats? Yeah. How many teams make the playoffs when they play four guys that are essentially rookies? Like at, like at the beginning of the year or like going into the playoffs? Well, because at any period, don't care. I'm just asking you. I mean, if you have Parker Meadows, Colt Keith, Jace Young, and Jay Hen all playing next year, that's four of your nine at-bats every day with rookies. I'm just asking you, what do you think the expectation of productivity is for rookies in your lineup? I mean, is that not what the Baltimore Orioles were in like 2022 and also maybe a little bit over into this year? Like, and, and again, they didn't make the playoffs, but they were a team that they, they were the real deal. They're on the rise. And then look what they did this year. I mean, they go out and they win 101 games. So like, I don't, I don't really get your point. Like that doesn't really make any sense to me. My, my, my point is, is that I think you only have room for so many young, you know, hitters. And if I have to sacrifice Justin Henry Malloy to play sacrifice a player like what? J.D. Martinez, sacrifices at bats. Because the other three are going to play. Metals, Keith, and, and Jace Young, assuming Jace Young earns it, are going to play. So, you know, the person that's going to get at bats sacrificed is Justin Henry Malloy because, to be blunt, he doesn't have a defensive position in the major leagues. What what position does he play? He's going to play right field. Instead of? He's going to play right field DH, Kerry Carpenter, right field DH. Kerry's a lefty. Malloy is a righty. Like that, I, I, I am so, I am so, my mind is so blown that you are, you are off on this. And you know what? That's fine. I'm going to tell listeners, don't listen to Mark. Tigers are not going to go after J.D. Martinez. They're going to leave the D.A. spot open, and Justin Henry Malloy is going to get a ton of at-bats and probably make oh, the opening I, day I, roster. I, so we're just going to leave and, it at that. And I, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that you're probably right, and this is part of my issue, is I think so far what I am hoping this offseason shows us is that Scott Harris is far more aggressive and tries to actually win than he is, you know, basically crafting an idea. And then when it comes time to essentially actually take risk, he took no risk. You don't just spend. You, so, don't, you don't spend just to spend. That's foolish. I, I didn't ask. That's, you got that's, a $55 million. By the way, you got a $55 million payroll. Uh, they've traditionally been between a hundred and a hundred and eighty million for eleven years. So I would say if you ended up with an eighty million dollar payroll, you aren't exactly taking a a giant. See, I completely spending I, I completely spree disagree. of you know of pizza pizza money there. I completely okay? disagree. Okay. I completely well, disagree. I, I can appreciate that because I just don't see I the can point. Appreciate you don't, Mark, that. you don't just you don't just spend just to spend. Like I, for me, in my standpoint, like the way that I would look at it is, I would say, okay, let's go take a peek at the 2025 free agent class. 
That's going to be the last year of AJ Hinch's contract reportedly. And that's a situation where you're going to already know what you got in Jace Young. You're going to know what you got in Cole Keith. You're going to know what you got in Malloy. You're going to know what you have in Parker Meadows. You're going to know if, you know, Torkelson is really the real deal. Can he bring up that batting average, really become a complete hitter? Can Riley Green stay healthy? Is Kerry Carpenter going to continue to keep doing what he's doing? How steady is Jake Rogers behind the plate? Can he do this two years in a row? Those are all questions that are going to have to be answered. But then you look at the free agent market after that and, and go go down the list of 2025. I mean, Max Scherzer, Garrett Cole. I mean, I'm just gonna throw I'm just throwing out names. I don't care how old they are. I'm going down the list. Well, I mean, Max Scherzer will be 63 years old. I don't think they're signing him. Okay. Just reading down the uh, no, no, Garrett just Cole, reading down the list. Get, it's Matt Max Scherzer, Garrett right. Cole, Chris Sale, Paul Goldschmidt, you know, Marcus Stroman, Zach Wheeler, Jose Altuve, Patrick Corbin, Robbie Ray, Joey Votto, Alex Bregman, Charlie Morton, Anthony Rizzo. Keep going on the list. You got Michael Conforto. Like there, there are names going down this list that you can say. Okay, there, you you have you haven't said one name that Detroit would have any interest in whatsoever, or isn't already a position of depth. Keep going. <laughs> it's. I, I mean, Gear Cole's not coming here. No, I'm not. Robbie I'm not, Ray, but I'm not, but I'm not, not saying you know, that those are all candidates to be Tigers. I'm just saying that that list is a lot different than the list this year, you go read down the list. It's, it's hard pass, hard pass on a lot of those guys, including, including JD Martinez. All I'm saying is what I hope that they do is add bona fide major league, you know, power hitting difference making players. Okay that are on short-term deals that can help the team transition to be better. And, you know, I thought that was a very, very strong chance that a guy like J.D. Martinez, A, is available, B, has some history here, C, is, you know, in, in the pocket of what they can afford, and D would sign a contract that was two years or less. So it doesn't disrupt anything they're doing. Here's a, here's so, a few names real quick, and then we can wrap this up because it needs to be done. But you want to look at you know the following offseason. Here's a better list for you. Paul Goldschmidt, Pete Alonzo, Anthony Rizzo with the club option, Jose Altuve, Glaber Torres, Alex Bregman, Max Muncy, Willie Adamas, Tim Anderson, Juan Soto, Cody Bellinger, Alex Verdugo, Michael Conforto, Tyler O'Neill. DH, I guess, if you want to throw it out there, I guess Eloy Jimenez with the club option, Marcelo Zuna with the club option. I don't think either of those really make sense. But point is, is there are some names out there. You go, you go look at this year's class, and those names are not on there from a position player standpoint. Guys of that caliber are just not available. So if you know what, if you want to take a year, see what you got, and then you got a, a chance to really go out there and get somebody, I think I take that all day long as opposed to just spending just to spend and blocking guys and who knows and not, not giving Justin Henry Malloy an opportunity. That is crazy. That is absurd. All next, right. next question. All right. So, so let's take this one step further. Okay. Let's take a team like the Miami Marlins. All right. Who were last year kind of in the position the Tigers were this year. Um, and all of a sudden, between a few trades and the trade deadline, here's what they added. 
In the offseason, they made a trade, Pablo Lopez for Luis Arraz, and that was just an asset trade. It was a great asset trade for both teams, right? So they added a bat because they were pretty much the worst hitting team in baseball in 2022. Then they also added Jorge Soler to be their DH. Soler then promptly hit 36 homers, drove in 75 runs, and had a WRC plus of 126. He was an extremely useful power hitter for them. At the trade deadline, they then added Josh Bell and Jake Berger. So they totally transformed their lineup with short-term stopgap, not excessively expensive professional hitters, and they made the playoffs. And all I'm saying is we have quite a few positional players that are breaking into the lineup, but the idea of how competitive you're going to be without adding some veteran bats into the mix and don't think the Orioles did not have some pseudo-veteran bats because, you know, they did have Santander and Mountcastle hitting right in the middle of their lineup who were a little older and a little more experienced. And the idea that Detroit is going to have an entire lineup of players that are three years or less in experience, um, except for Jake Rogers, who will be in year four, and Javi Baez, who is a wild card of how much offense he's going to be able to contribute. Um, it tells me you're not serious about winning. That's what it tells me. Josh Bell was so, a .4 war player. Get out of here. Josh Bell was pretty damn good for when he went to Miami. Can we do a question two or a so, break? Yep, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. And Evan and I will try not to kill each other during the break. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. Let's go to uh, question two of the big two. Um, you know, basically, did AJ Hintz an answer Mark's question, which is, what do we think about his commitment level? And I think we can spend about 26 seconds on this, which is, <laughs> he absolutely answered it. He's 100% coming back, has zero interest in leaving, and it's not even worth having a discussion any any longer than you agreeing with me. Oh, now you're forcing me into an agreement. I see how you're playing this card. Well, I'm messing I, with you. I'm messing what? with you. No, he answered. No, he's right. messing with you. He answered the question. I mean, yeah, he wouldn't want to be anywhere else. That's what he said. He told the team that in Oakland, he you know reaffirmed that again, you know, at the end of season presser. And I think that's a great thing for the Tigers. I think the Tigers are better with AJ Hinch in that dugout, in that clubhouse, creating those lineups, playing the chess match. Yeah, I think I thought he did a great job of it. I mean, with what he had this year and with what he had to work with, I thought he did a great job of getting the most out of guys. And it's good that he's sticking around. It's good that he wants to be here. 
Um, we'll see what happens, you know, beyond 2025. But for now, AJ Hinch is going to be the manager of the Tigers. And that's a great thing for the future. No doubt about it. I mean, I've, I've asked you, I've, I've asked a few people, and there were times I was worried because I was worried that he, I thought Scott Harris's commitment to try to improve the team was a little, you know, lackadaisical is a bad word. Cautious might be a better word. So I, I, I will say this. If the payroll going into next season is $60 million or less, A.J. Hinch is not going to be real happy about it. I can tell you that. I, I promise you he will not be happy with that. So I'll, le- I'll leave it at that. All right, let's move on. There's a bunch of th- other things that happened this week. Um, first, let's talk about something that we just missed being able to talk about last week. Um, Matt Shepard's out after five seasons as the Bailey Sports Detroit play-by-play guy. We don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but let's talk about it for a minute. Well, I, I do think it's important to jump into, you know, kind of what happened and, and kind of how this went down and maybe what's next. But then, Mark, you're someone who sits back and you watch all these games. And I know you like to listen to Dan Dickerson. I know you do. But over these past five years, you've gotten to hear Matt Shepard a ton. Whereas I listen to Dan Dickerson, you know, through my computer and, and on the radio, um, you know, during games. And, and I know Shep very well. He's a great guy. He's, he's taught me some things about golf along the way. Um, you know, just, just a good dude in that sense. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Tigers made the decision with Bally Sports Detroit kind of in collaboration in the way in which they went about it. But Shepard's out and, you know, he took over in January of 2019. And after five seasons, you know, he's not going to be returning. It sounds like they're going to want to hire somebody before the new year. It sounds like they're going to be ambitious about that list that they're putting together. I'm not even going to speculate about it. Um, there was some talk out there about Mario and Pemba. And, you know, obviously I, I grew up listening to Mario and, and he's as good as it gets, but that's not happening. Um, so we'll see, though. We'll see what what list they're able to compile, who they're able to bring in. I think, you know, w- from what I've heard is they want to be ambitious. So I have high expectations. I have very, very, very high expectations. I don't even really want to speculate on that yet. We have so much time to, to really dig into more of that. But Mark, I want to know from your standpoint, as somebody who sits on their couch and watches all these games day in and day out, how do you feel about this? Like, what what have you seen from Matt Shepard over the last five years? And 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 I and I'm not asking you to be sensitive, but just you know, be honest, but also understand that this was a guy who hadn't worked in baseball before. Like, I also think that there was a, a mistake maybe in that sense where they went and got the guy that was local, and they got the guy that you know had been around Michigan and loved the Tigers, but he didn't really have any baseball experience. And that's the number one criteria for this next hire: is this guy's got to have experience calling baseball. It just, it's a priority. For, but, but what do you think? First, I want to say, um, I feel bad for Matt. I'm sure this was a dream job for him. Nobody likes getting fired. Mark Gorash has been fired a few times in his life. It's never fun. Okay. At the same time, here's what I will say. Um, Matt's a really good broadcaster. But, Amen. You know, base, b- baseball may be his third best sport. That's the problem. I mean, he's a natural football broadcaster. He was really good doing the Michigan basketball oh, games. Yeah. And, I, and, and I'm sure you will attest, and other people will too, is I, I was curious when the U of M football job came up last fall why 
Matt didn't put himself in the mix for that because that's a great job and he'd have been a great And he works his that. he works his ass off. He's ultra prepared. He takes notes all the time. Like he he is he is prepared. But again, like you said, baseball probably the third best and he is a he, I mean he is a great football broadcaster and he's a really good basketball broadcaster as well. So when answering my question is, look, um, I think Matt gave it all he had. I think that when you are voted the 29th or 30th, 30th best TV broadcast in the rankings that people do nationally over the last two out years, of 30 teams, when Mark, right. When Mark Gorash just finally got frustrated of listening to Dan Dickerson on a delay and he had a delay of the game too much just to sync it up. And I did that a lot, but finally just, you know, those that know me, I just blasted music in my ears most games and watched TV without announcing because I don't really need announcing, but I, I couldn't I couldn't listen to them anymore. Yeah. I couldn't listen to Matt, you know, do play by play. Couldn't listen to SEMO. Gibby is normally really good, but he does need somebody to lead him. Um, and then you get a lot of really interesting info out of, I mean, Kirk was a major league manager, man. He has a lot of pretty good insights. Nobody drags them out of them, though. They're too busy talking about golfing and hunting. Okay. So, you know, the answer is they needed to do this. I'm glad they finally did it. It obviously was a very difficult decision for them, or they would have done it two or three years ago. So, um, sorry to see Matt lose his job. Hope he gets a gig that fits him better. He's a good guy. He worked his ass off, and uh, we'll see what they come up with. I hope I hope they make an inspired choice. I have my own personal favorites, the people I would like to be in the mix, hopefully will be, and uh, they know who they are. <laughs> and uh, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, who knows how long it'll take. I think they need to take as long as it takes to get somebody that's really good. It will not be Joe Davis, though. So, <laughs> and it will not be Dan Dickerson either. Uh, Let's make that very clear. Dan Dickerson it, is not going look, to TV, and they're not doing a simulcast thing. That's not happening. Simulcast, which, by the way... I know you love it, but it's not so happening. So everyone knows. Mark has said this to Evan a good 71 times, that they should simulcast the games and use Dickerson for both. And it would be great for everybody, but obviously they're not ready to do that yet. So one day they might, but not, not next year. So we'll move on from that. It's, uh, we'll assume that's, it's, it's a bad thing for Matt. It's probably a good thing for fans. Okay. So I know you've been hearing a little rumbling coaching staff changes, other changes, what other things you think are, you know, what kind of movement? What are you hearing about some different things? Yeah, from everything I've heard so far, the core of the group is going to stay the same. And A.J. Hinch kind of talked about this, too, at the end of season press conference where he didn't say, you know, okay, everybody's coming back. But he also didn't say that there's going to be significant changes. I think there could be maybe one guy, maybe two guys. The one guy that pops into my head it, just right off the bat is Alfredo Mezaga, the first base coach. Like I, I don't really see him returning. That's a little bit of speculation, a little bit of what I'm hearing. So I'm trying to track some things down on that. But um, I would be surprised at this point, based on the reporting that I have done so far, I'd be surprised if Alfredo Mezaga returned to the Tigers coaching staff in 2024. Um, but like the core guys are going to stay. Like George Lombard, unless he gets a job, sounds like he's going to be back. 
Pitching coach Chris Fetter going to be back. Assistant pitching coach Robin Lund. Your three new hitting guys that they brought in, Michael Berdar, you know, Keith Beauregard, James Rosen, those guys are going to be back. And that that's what matters most. And I think that's what fans need to be encouraged about is they're keeping that core group together and they're going to be able to build off of that. This is going to be year two of Robin Lund. This is going to be year two of the Berdar, you know, Beauregard, Rosen, you know, hitting group, right? Like that. that's a big deal because these guys are going to be in, the, in their ears all over again. Um, so we'll see what ends up happening. You know, if the Mezaga truly is out, which I believe he is, um, how they're going to fill that role or what that's going to look like. Um, haven't heard much about Gary Jones, but I'd have to think that, that he's probably going to be coming back. I think he's very well respected amongst the coaching staff. But then also too, like there's could be some front office movement as well. I think, you know, some amateur scouting moves, um, you know, could, could leak out here at some point. I think even, you know, stuff like, uh, I don't know, like travel, travel secretary stuff, right? Like, I mean, even down to that level, I, I think there could be, um, there could be some movement. There could be some changes. Like this was a really big year for Scott Harris to evaluate everything that he had and then make some decisions about that. So in terms of where things actually happen and, and what moves are made and at what time all that kind of, kind of starts to come out, time will tell, but I do think it's going to be across the board. It's not just going to be, Oh, the coaching staff. I think it literally is going to be everything from administrative to, coaching staff to front office to scouting like there are going to be small changes here and there nothing dramatic i don't think um without nothing dramatic i don't think outside from maybe some shakeups in the front office with assistant gms because you have to look at it now scott harris is at the top you have you know a, a gm in there now as the number two you have you know some assistant gms in there in in sam menzen and jay sartori we'll see if both of those guys are still around next year I'm not sure if both of them are going to be. Um, I doubt that both of them would be gone, but I also don't really think that both of them are still going to be in their same roles. Like, But again, who knows on that front? I just think that we could see changes up and down, top to bottom. Don't disagree. Heard some rumbling. You know, they kept predominantly the Avila scouting staff for year one of Scott Harris. Professional, prof- professional scouting, not amateur scouting. They made some yeah. big changes there. Right. Right. Obviously, um, Metzler and Connor came in for those things. But I'm going to assume that those guys have input and want to bring in some of their people. Yep. I think Harris and Greenberg have some of their own people they want to bring exactly. in. So it would only be natural to think that you want to surround yourself with people um, that are your people. And uh, I'm sure there have been some guys that have shown out and it will fit perfectly in what they're going to do next. But I I think you're spot on believing there's going to be some transition and some changes. And uh, I've heard some rumblings about it. And, you know, it's not something fans really care about that much. But, you know, anything you can do to create an organization that performs, um, I am all for it. I, I also am curious to see how much more power a guy like Ryan Garko is going to yield because, you know, his group has done a lot of stuff. And the more you succeed, the more power and you know you what, get. Mark? Even, even so, some player development changes, too, though. Like, I've heard that Ramon Santiago is not going to be returning. I think I'm, I'm in a good spot to throw that one out there. He was an infield coordinator in the minor leagues last year contract expires they don't bring him back like those are some of those small moves kind of like i mentioned that i think we could see up and down that aren't going to be those big moves that fans are going to go crazy over it's not going to be like a jeff greenberg type of move where he comes in and you got a new gm or you know you have a a whole new amateur scouting you know 
leadership, right? But it's going to be those trickle down, you know, moves that I think we're going to see, you know, as the offseason unfolds. All right. Well, obviously, Scott Harris putting his imprint on the organization. He's got himself a general manager and, you know, there's going to be other organizational changes we should expect. All right. So you, you got a story. I, you know, I wanted to ask you something before we get to a story. Okay. Um, I think maybe what we'll do so we can do it, uh, without, without any interruption. Let's take our last break. We'll be back in a minute. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I want to just ask you quickly to you what you think September meant for some players. There weren't a lot of players that it had meaning for, but I I can name a few and I wanted to uh, get your input about it and you feel free to add to any of these four. But uh, Andy Abanez, Reese Olson, uh, Sawyer Gibson-Long, uh, Parker Meadows, and feel free to add to anything else that you saw. I guess uh, Diaz would be another guy yeah. worth discussing too. So, yeah, for some reason Go Diaz ahead. doesn't get the love that maybe he deserves. He probably comes back on a minor league deal, hangs out in Toledo, and then you know maybe gets a call at the end of the year or something like that. I mean, we'll see. They he, they they've given a lot of opportunities. They just haven't really given him a ton of runway at the at the big he, league he level. He was good. I dude. No, I know. I'm not saying he wasn't good. I'm not saying he was bad. I'm ba- just saying better, he's better, better. historically with the Tigers, they haven't given him a ton of love. Better than Brendan White. for sure. How about for that? sure. So look, I, I want to kind of dive into some of that because I did write a story that was my final stock watch and it basically took the last, I think it was 21.4% of the season. And um, I've done four of them. So it was kind of the last look at, hey, here's how guys finished down the stretch. I did three up, three down. I also had some honorable mentions in there. My three up, Tarek Skubal, Andy Ibanez, and Reese Olsen. The honorable mentions there, Matt Veerling, Will Vest. And then I you know, gave a little shout out to Miguel Cabrera and added him on there too. But Reese Olsen, yeah. I mean, the question is going to be for him, like, what is the ceiling? Like, what can he actually be? And you go and you look at the stuff is nasty, off the charts. The command was really good, much improved from his days in the minor leagues. And the fastball was a lot better. I thought they did a great job of having him add the sinker to allow, you know, the sinker to play off the fastball and just to kind of give guys a different look. He did a really good job of learning to mix his pitches, especially down the stretch. And here's something to know. Reese Olsen, he had a 1.51 ERA in his final six starts. So you want to go from October 20, I mean, excuse me, you want to go from August 25th through October 1st. That was the time frame for my final stock watch. His ERA ranked fourth in baseball behind Blake Snell, Tarek Skubal, and Garrett Cole. That's pretty damn good. The question is going to be, pretty damn can good. he repeat it? Can he do it? Can he be a Snell type guy? Can he be a Skubal type guy? Can he be a Cole type guy? I'm not ready to say that yet, but at the same time, that's the question everyone's asking is, is okay, how good can this guy be? Andy Abanez, another name you brought up. I love what Andy Abanez did down the stretch. He did it quietly. He was not this guy that was out there, you know, 
having three home run games or doing anything crazy like that. He was just somebody who was, it was steady. He was very, very steady. He hit 311 from August 25th through October 1st. I think that helped his case to be a part of the Tigers' plans for 2024. I see him opening, you know, the 2024 season with the Tigers on their opening day roster. And at the very least, by the end of the season, he is a bat that comes off the bench, assuming that you have both Colt Keith and Jace Young as everyday players in the big leagues. But he's a great bench piece that's going to allow you to do a lot of different things in your lineup. I think he plays a really damn good second base. I think that gets overlooked quite a bit. I think his second base is steady and on base percentage is good. Like there's a lot to like about India Banez. He set himself up very well. Parker Meadows, he finished really strong. I'd love to see him make the adjustment. He was really struggling to get on the fastball. And by the end of the year, he was back on fastballs again, which is awesome to see. He's got to cut down on the strikeouts. So that's going to be a problem for him. If he can cut down on that a little bit, that would be great. But at the same time, when you have a guy who's going to be able to do what he does with the bat, aside from the strikeouts, and then also play elite center field defense, also run the bases at an elite rate. Like, you know, what more could you ask for? You know, so if the strikeouts are going to be a little bit of an issue, that's okay, as long as he's still able to keep that batting average up a little bit and, you know, also plays great center field as we know he's going to and runs the bases really well, which we know he's going to do both those things. I think there's a lot of value in that. Sawyer Gibson Long, I still don't really know what we have there. I know we have a lot of stuff. Like, that's that's kind of the thought, I think, that's where the Tigers are at with him. But the question is going to be, again, kind of like Reese Olsen, but maybe not to the same extent. Like, what's the ceiling? How good can you actually be? Can you do it over and over and over again? We got to see a lot more of Reese Olsen than we got to see of Sawyer Gibson Long. I think time tells there. I would say more likely than not, they're going to add a veteran arm. They may spend some money on that. You know, depends on what's available to them. Do I think they re-sign Michael Lorenzen? Probably not. I don't think so. But do I think that's an idea of a similar type of thought? Yeah, maybe. Um, Another thing I wrote in my stock you know, watch that they, I just want to mention, and you, only because you mentioned starting pitchers and, and bringing them back, I don't want to beat this drum too hard because we've talked about it over and over again. But when I was going through my numbers and I was looking at how guys did down the stretch, again, August 25th through October 1st, Eduardo Rodriguez, final seven starts, 408 ERA. He had a 4.24 ERA in his final 15 starts after returning from that finger injury in early July. He looked more like a third or fourth starter. Maybe that's not a bad thing for the Tigers that he didn't pitch well. Maybe that kind of gives them the chance to wipe their hands clean of him and, and move on. I know you're in the boat of, hey, bring him back. I don't think so. But the poor performance definitely doesn't put pressure on the Tigers like it would if he had continued his ace caliber pitching. If he continued pitching like an ace, everybody would be begging for him to come back, yeah, begging for it, the Tigers to pay no, 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 no discussion. I will say this. I, I did some, some dive on something today because the thought occurred to me. And uh, I, I asked Cody this because he was at the game. But, you know, Jordan Montgomery had just a ridiculous year this year, right? I mean, he was really, really good. And he's been pretty damn good the last three years. I, I looked it up. He's 10.5 war. Over the last three seasons, he's going to be a free agent. So the thought occurred to me, what's he worth? What's he worth on the market? I mean, he's got a lot of similarities to Eduardo Rodriguez, maybe a little bit more durable. But I started looking at the stuff and looking at how Montgomery performed. He was pitching in a playoff game today, and he was bobbing and weaving. And I, you know, he got him through five innings, but it was kind of ugly. It was not a game he would have stayed in if they weren't ahead 
you know, 10 to 2, 10 to 3, 10 to 5. Um, but he, the answer is he's going to probably get four years, $88 million, four years, $80 million, something along those lines. And to be really honest with you, Eduardo Rodriguez is better than Jordan Montgomery. Agreed. It's a lot more swing and miss. It's a lot more swing and miss. Okay. Um, they execute a similar type of sequencing, but they're reasonably comparable pitchers. Um, so if you're asking yourself, yeah, like Jordan Montgomery instead of Eduardo Rodriguez, my answer to you is I'm not sure why, but if you're asking yourself what do you think Eduardo Rodriguez is worth on the open market, he's worth probably about four years, $80 million. Do I think the missing two months last year and having a tendon injury in his finger and other years always seeming to miss five to 10 starts. Yeah, it's a problem. But I think most of the time, 140 innings, a pretty damn good three war or better baseball. And so I think it's important to have a guy like that, a guy you can pitch in a playoff game, a guy, if you bring back that I would try to get the no trade cause eliminated or at least only allow it for year one. Um, and then really you don't have a lot of risk if things don't go well, because in year two, you can trade them to anybody you want. There's always going to be a market for a guy like Eduardo Rodriguez. So I, I would hope they have a discussion with them. It seemed like the way Harris postured the answer, and I would like your input on this, that they weren't exactly opening their arms and making nice to him. So, well, sure. I mean, they're definitely uh, not going to negotiate anything until Eduardo Rodriguez makes his official decision of whether he is going to opt in or opt out, which doesn't have to happen until after the World Series. And so it sounds like that's that's kind of where they're at. It's it's I don't think I don't think they and then they have an exclusive window. too. Yeah, right? it's a short exclusive window. And at that point, then maybe there could be some discussions. Um, but it definitely doesn't sound like Tigers are going to be, you know, jumping at the gun to dig into that ASAP priority number one for the offseason. It's just not how it seems. It's just not how it seems. Again, you kind of read the room. You kind of read the answers. You could frame it at you. I mean, they, they could definitely have framed it like we want him back. And that was not the way they framed it. That was the way that I, I kind of took that. So, yeah, he could, he could have said, yeah, we're going to have a discussion about it and see if we can't figure out a way to make everybody happy. Um, he's been very, you know, th there were different ways to have answered that question that made it seem more conciliatory. That's my professional way of explaining it. So, all right, you're going to be 25 this year. You're going to be 25, I th would you say, on Tuesday, right? Yeah, Tuesday. Tuesday, that's a, that's, that's a big birthday. You got married. So I think you asked me, what does Mark Gorash remember about being 25? <laughs> so... Just to give people perspective, Mark Gorosh was 25 in 1981, which was in the middle of some pretty decent Tiger baseball. It was the early aspect, kind of like similar time to, uh, you know, for guys like Torkelson and Green and uh, Kerry Bonds Carpenter. It was, you know, Parrish, Gibson, Trammell Whitaker in their year four or five and just starting to be good. Dan Petrie, Jack Morris. Wow. So it's a pretty solid, pretty solid core, right? Um, so for baseball wise, that was a lot of fun. I uh 
was young in my work life. I was a stockbroker then. I uh, had not as nice a hair as Ivan Petzold, who has a hair on a scale of one to 10, is, his hair is a 10. Mine was only about an eight. So, uh, but we had some similarities. I was 6'3", 190 pounds of goodness. Uh, used to, uh, you know, go out, try to have a good time. Was playing a lot of golf. Was playing a lot of baseball then. Um, dressing like I was Don Johnson because Miami Vice was super popular then. Uh, and living the good life. I was having a good time. Was not married. Had not started dating my wife of 40 years yet. Um, but, you know, times were good. So... I uh, I wish as much fun for Evan Petzold at 25 as Mark Gorosh was having at 25. Hey, man, halfway to 50, so we'll, we'll see what happens after this. Now, you asked me if the next 25 years goes by slow or fast, and my answer is a lot of people like to say that it goes by fast. I will tell you it does not go by nearly as fast as you think it is, but there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen. You're going to have kids. Your kids are going to be little. Then they're going to be teenagers. Then they're going to be adults and they're going to drive and you're going to move into some different houses. You might change jobs. There's just tons of stuff that's going to happen. So it doesn't go by as quickly as you think it does. And there's just a lot of life that happens between 25 and 50. So... I don't want to caution you. I just want to kind of let you know that uh, it doesn't go by fast. That's good to know. That, that, was, right. that was my hope. I was hoping um, you would answer that way because I hope to have all those moments and have all those memories and, and honestly soak them all in. Well, and I will share with our listeners that Evan Petzold, is is a, is more of a deep thinker than you guys know. And so he actually really does think about this stuff. And I he will be somebody that will be enjoying all those 25 years and all the different things that will happen with him in Savannah. So I, I think it'll be a really good 25 years for oh, you. Thank you. Thank so, you. All right. So uh, we got a lot more off-season stuff to talk about. We did not talk about the playoffs at all. The playoffs have been a lot of fun. Uh, I am not surprised how well the Twins are doing. I've had some talks with people. And I have been a pretty big fan of the Twins for a while, and I, what they're doing is not shocking me, okay? Um, and the Phillies, <laughs> people know my love for Dave Dombrowski. The Phillies are definitely a force to be reckoned with. You got, you got a minute or two. We're going to run long this week, but tell, tell me what you think about what you're seeing in the playoffs real fast. The Twins are a lot of fun. I mean, you've talked about it kind of for the last, I don't know, maybe – month, two months about kind of the young talent they brought up and the young talent they started to develop. And the big question with them has always been, you know, can they stay healthy? Can Correa, can he be healthy, right? Can Byron Buxton, can he be healthy? And you go up and down that list and, and you look at some of the young talent that they have up and down the board, it really comes down to health. And when they're healthy, they're a really good team, like a really, really good team. Really good. And so am I mm -hmm. surprised by what they're doing? No. Um, am I surprised that they're staying healthy and that they're able to kind of do it at this rate? Maybe a little bit, but at the same time, raw talent, like they got it. Like they are a team and they can make some noise. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch the rest of the postseason. I'm obviously going to be paying a lot of attention to what the Twins are doing the rest of the way just because, you know, obviously it matters them being in the AL Central. And I think that that's going to be 
huge into forecasting what happens to the Tigers in 2024 because if they want to get in the playoffs, they're going to have to beat the Twins. No doubt about it. All right. So a lot of baseball coming up, mostly playoff baseball next week. We're going to start trying to think of ways to make this more fun, maybe get ourselves a few guests uh, and have a few other things, try to get some fan engagement. Um, We'll see what that brings us. Uh, I want to thank our executive producers, Kirk Crawford and Anjanette Delgado. Uh, I want to thank our producer that saves our boat every week, Robin Chan. Shout out, as always, to my little, small, beautiful grandson, Braden Michael Gorosh, who I got to hang out with, um, which was a lot of fun for me. And from a partner, Evan Petzold, this is Mark Gorosh. Wishing you peace. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.